0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at soundtalentmedia.com.
1: Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians, talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Sarp Keski of Bipolar Architecture. There's this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers!
0: Hey, hey, and welcome back to Flying McCall. I hope everyone is doing well and staying mentally and physically healthy. At the same time, I hope you're remaining activated, not letting the Black Lives Matter movement and calls to defund the police fizzle out. It's a great new episode today with someone you might remember from the COVID special that went up around the start of quarantine, Jiraiya. He recently put out an EP called To Mend the Sun, which is a mix of new tracks and updated versions of songs from his first album. Dariah takes influences from a variety of places, and especially shines through theatric musicality, in the vein of Michael Romance or Panic at the Disco, viewed through his own lines. We talk about his unique journey into music, the process of creation, which is largely done through electronic production, rather than live instruments, the live show, his new EP, and his experiences as a black person within the scene. Enjoy. little COVID special episode that I did you said how like you love telling stories and like you know building worlds and making people kind of feel like they're you know experiencing something outside of themselves which I'm I'm sure in some ways is probably even more uh poignant now for you um like can you tell me a little bit about that and like your drive to create that
1: yeah I mean you know like you said I think like sort of the um the base of all of it is that I love to create and tell stories and I think you know part of that is that like I've never felt like my own experience has been anything like you know anything like worth really writing about you know I like sort of like these you know sonically and like visually I like these very like big you know sort of um grand you know looks and and things like that and sounds so I was like well you know I I live a pretty pretty you know boring life you know (laughs) For, for like the, the, you know, sort of surface level stuff that I like to create, you know, I feel like I need to have ideas and concepts that kind of match that level of, of production that I, I like to go for. So, mm-hmm. you know, for me, the best way to do that just kind of seems to be, you know, going down that kind of fictional route. I've always loved, you know, stories and, you know, graphic novels and animation and stuff like that. So there's always, you know, been that kind of inspiration from Mm -hmm. these very you know dramatic stories and stuff like that
0: yeah and what are like some of those like what were some of like the early highlights for you that kind of like got you into that kind of stuff
1: oh man early highlights there is um I remember as like a really young kid like like very beginning of like elementary school I was really into then 10 for a very long time (laughs) that was like one of my like staples. And, you know, from there, I got into anime. Um, I've loved Naruto since like, you know, first or second grade. And, you know, I just really got really deep into that. I loved to read a lot as a kid. I don't, I don't read as much anymore. <laughs> but yes, yeah, just just stuff like that, you know, very, um, you know, very just like, a lot of it was sort of stuff aimed at like, you know, like young kids and stuff like that, or sort of that um, like teenage kind of, um you know, demographic. And that, that was kind of the stuff that I was just initially drawn to, even as like a little kid.
0: For sure. Yeah. And I mean, as far as like, you mentioned kind of like the, the layering and the theatricality of your music. Um, was that like always something you were musically drawn to, or is that something that kind of like came into more as you like discovered your own new types of music?
1: Um, hmm. I don't, I don't know, actually, now that I think about it, it's, um, I, as far as like music, because I haven't always been into music, really, but I remember, like, my first real experience with liking music kind of goes back to that anime thing. Um, And it's something I hadn't actually thought about until recently that you know my the first time I really started to enjoy music was like you know the openings and stuff for these like shows (laughs) because before that I I think I didn't really get music you know it kind (laughs) of just sounded like noise to me um I didn't really have any appreciation for the sort of like musicality and stuff that goes into it and you know I started hearing these like you know anime openings and cartoon like theme songs that were largely like based around like pop and rock and i started you know sort of chasing that i think in the music i'd listen to later which would end up being like you know Panic at the disco and my chemical romance and yeah i'd say probably all of it started from there mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so like what were kind of like some of the standout ones for you. I know I've, I've uh, recently started listening to like the first couple Bleach soundtracks
1: again and like remembering just how good they are. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. I mean, I never even finished watching Bleach and I still listen to those intros. And they're <laughs> so good. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, definitely the big ones were again, like the Naruto openings. Those were, you know, still so good um i remember i i like would buy them on itunes um there was um i was really into a lot of the stuff for for dragon ball z cuz it was this really cool mix of like they loved doing horn arrangements and mixing that in with these very like um you know sort of old metal type of sounds mm-hmm. and that was just a really You know, at the time I didn't realize it, but that was just such a fun, like, mix of different sounds where you have these, like, you know, it sounds like an action movie from the 80s, but then, like, you have horns and then the lyrics are in Japanese.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, is that something that you, like, try to bring into your music, that kind of, like, mix of stuff?
1: Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I mean, I just love so many different types of music and you know i i love seeing different sounds that you know almost shouldn't work together just kind of like mix mm-hmm. and you know one thing that i'm really interested in when i'm writing music is sort of taking kind of less accessible sounds and um you know motifs and stuff and kind of you know putting them out there in a way that's more i guess easy to digest you know
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think in one of the videos up on your YouTube that I was watching today, you kind of like mentioned how, you know, jazz is like an influence to you, um, which I think is, it's not necessarily something I'm familiar with. And it's also not necessarily something that I picked up on. But like, can you point to like some of the spots where you kind of like have that influence and some of the, the influences from the jazz world?
1: Yeah I mean for sure and you know when I like refer to jazz I don't really actually listen to a whole lot of jazz (laughs) myself either but it's really more just like the um the musicality of it I in high school I studied I started studying jazz music as you know sort of like the foundation for my my like music theory I guess you know my teacher was really into that stuff he would always tell us like if you learn like jazz and Bach, you know, you you pretty much know most of music. <laughs> and I didn't really get it at the time because it took me a while to get into it. But, you know, the more we would study it and break down these like compositions and the, I would look at the stuff I already like to listen to and I'd be like, oh, this is the same. <laughs> like it's all all of this is very, very similar to all this jazz stuff we've been studying. And once I understood it, I was able to apply it to my own music a little bit more
0: mm-hmm. yeah and I mean you seem like super plugged into like the production end of things and stuff and you know given that a lot of the instrumentals are you know not like typical like live recorded instruments um like I'm curious how you kind of like start on music like it, music seems so uh like daunting to me like thinking about creating music but even more so without having like the physical instruments to like jam it out so like how does that kind of like process start for you
1: Oh, yeah. Um, for sure, yeah. I mean, I'm glad you picked up on that. I, I don't play a whole lot of instruments. <laughs> I, um, you know, as far as instrumentation, I really am only good at um, the piano, the keyboard. I feel like that's sort of like the foundation for all of it. I've been playing that for since I was like nine. But um, yeah, I mean, it actually, you know, just sort of as like a, to put it in the context, a little story um i started producing music in like the 6th grade because i i was in middle school we had um music club we we used to have like a new music teacher every year like they'd come they'd quit <laughs> and eventually we um had this music teacher music teacher mr g and he you know me and him just became you know very close cuz we were both very you know, most people in like a middle school music class really don't want to be, you know, in music class. (laughs) And I, you know, I was just really into it. And again, at that point, I wasn't even, you know, I I wasn't singing or anything like that. I wasn't making music. But I loved the idea of, you know, I'd started playing the piano, and I loved the idea of sort of like, expanding on whatever it is I was starting to, to enjoy about that. So when I met you know, somebody who was really passionate about music and also teaching me, um, I was able to draw a lot from that. And he was also into all kinds of different facets of like, you know, just creating things. At some point, he had he had picked up FL Studio and started messing around with it. And he showed me me and some friends like a couple of little tracks that he put together and I was like this is so cool how did you do this He was like I just with my laptop you know I made I made a song and I, you know, I just wanted to show you guys and I thought that was the coolest thing ever so he was like yeah you know go home download FL Studio let me know what you think and I've been using it ever since then you know I started making um electronic music so that was really like my foundation as far as production and even hmm. when I Right, you know, I started getting into rock music later. That's still sort of been process wise. You know, I start synths and I start with drum machines and we kind of build on top of it from there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, the, like the first album was like totally self produced. And I know you brought in Cole to like work with you on the um, To mend the Sun EP. Like, what, what was it kind of like bringing um, another person in to work so closely with you?
1: Oh, yeah. Cole. I love Cole. Cole's so great. <laughs> um, so that was that was a very interesting thing, you know, because I never really worked with anybody on my music, you know, here and there. I, you know, we'd work, I'd work on lyrics with like one or two people, or, you know, I had a friend who was helping me learn composition as I was writing the album, the first one. But, you know, besides that, i you know, when you work on music by yourself, you really it becomes a very insular process. And even when I would collaborate with people, it would sort of have to reach a certain, um, you know, level of polish before anybody would hear it. Because I was like insecure about it. You know, I don't want anybody to hear like demos and stuff that's not done. So essentially, if I worked on something with a person, the song was like essentially done before mm. anybody could even hear it so obviously that had to change you know working with Cole and how that happened actually was um we met through um mutual friends I had actually I'm also part of a another band called Hoomst and we um I'm I I'm in college now so I would you know I would jam with friends every once in a while we have like a chapel there's a piano and we um yeah, I would jam with um a couple friends here and there. I had started like um or I'd become like a member of the music club and I would organize these little meetings for us to just come and, you know, just play music whoever wanted to show up. And eventually a friend that I met, Josh, she was like, "Hey, you know, you should come, you know, jam with me and my band sometime. You seem like, you know, you could really bring a lot to it. We don't have anybody playing keys." So I was like, okay, this would be a fun thing. And I meet I meet Josh and the rest of the band. I meet Cole who plays drums actually. And we um, you know, we all introduced ourselves and I noticed very fast that me and Cole had very similar music tastes, which I wasn't expecting at all. You know, I don't meet a lot of people that have the same tastes as me, but he was talking about um, like, yeah, you know, I really love John Bellion and Twenty One Pilots and you know, stuff like that and he mentioned that he was like you know a producer and like a sound engineer he he does um a lot of stuff at warner music so you know at this point i was like first of all what an interesting person there's so (laughs) many there's so many layers to this guy and you know he was like yeah you know if you want to like send me over some demos i'd love to like you know see if we could work on something and you know that just from that small interaction we sort of ended up you know long story short he ended up doing drums for my live shows and he would um tinker with like the backing tracks for that stuff and eventually it grew into this thing where we were like we can um we can really like write songs together we can like you know I still do much of like the writing and production on my own Mm -hmm. but then it kind of became this thing where I could like send him over the stems for a song and he'd and like, oh, you know, I have like ideas, you know, I think I have things that I can contribute to this. And it's become just this really great sort of like team, you know, <laughs> this very great collaborative experience where I can, um, you know, he does a lot of like the sound engineering, he has, you know, these crazy off the wall ideas. And I guess, you know, to go back to the question, the biggest difference process wise is that I just, you know kind of have to open myself up more mm-hmm. to um sharing those very raw ideas because you know there's no way for him to really you know contribute in any meaningful way if I bring him something that I'm already set on how it's going to be mm-hmm. so you know that's been sort of like a, a growth as a person kind of thing in <laughs> addition to just like artistically
0: yeah for sure was that was there like a learning curve with that for you
1: oh yeah for sure it was um it, it was like a a weird thing at first, you know, even, even for him, you know, he, he'd even mentioned, cause like, I was kind of having trouble with that. And, you know, he's, he's a very honest guy. He was like, yeah, I, I don't really think that, you know, we can like work on this stuff in any meaningful way. If you're not like willing to, to, you know, kind of put that out there. Cause otherwise I'm, you know, I'm glad to mix the songs, but it's not like a collaborative experience if you're not, um, you know, willing to make that happen. So mm. it was, um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a little weird. It was a big transition.
0: That's awesome though, that I came like together so organically too, though. And, um, you, you had mentioned the live show, which wasn't even something that I was kind of thinking about, I guess it's been, <laughs> been a few months anyway, so it kind of slipped the mind, but I'm um, like, what, what is like the live show like, especially without you know the typical like rock you know ensemble of four or five people and stuff?
1: That <laughs> oh my God, yeah, that's a whole other thing. um, the live shows. So um, I guess another sort of um part of the Cole story arc that um I didn't think we would actually get into, <laughs> but um so at at one point, the band that we're both in. Um, you know, we had like two guitarists and a bassist. And I remember I got a message, somebody wanted to book me for like my first show. And I was like, whoa, this is so exciting. But at that point, I'd only really done open mics and I'd never really had to bring, you know, I'd never had, I'd thought about it, but I'd never done a full show. I had no idea what that would look like. Cause like you said, you know, I didn't have the typical, Sort of rock ensemble. Hmm. So I kind of like just, you know, gathered them all and I was like, hey, you know, for this show, would you guys want to like, you know, back me? You know, that would be like a really cool thing if you guys would be down. And they were like, yeah, you know, let's do it. So it was like a really short timeline. You know, they had like asked me like three weeks in advance, like, do you want to do this show? And I was like, okay, yeah, let's do the show. So I get them all like the next day and we start rehearsing and like, to put it mildly, it was one of the most stressful things we've ever had to go through as a band because, you know, I had to take all of these really complex arrangements and try to figure them out on instruments that I don't play. I didn't understand guitar or bass and they didn't understand the songs because they were they're like you know I knew the music theory behind them but they weren't there were no tabs for them there was nothing like that so a lot of it was us just figuring out what do the songs sound like live Mm -hmm. and it was really difficult even at the show we had to have like the the chord sheets that I printed out like sitting on the floor and they would like move like scroll through them with their feet because there's so much material it was so dense um because i write on the piano you know you don't have to worry about so much the you know making difficult chord switches and stuff like that and it just does not translate so after that show actually they're like i i don't think we can do this (laughs) so it it ended up just being um a duo with me and cole so now the um the way and it's taken a lot of working but now I think we've figured out what the live show looks like mm-hmm. so what it is it's um very reliant on backing tracks so we'll do live drums I'm on vocals obviously every once in a while I'll do keys or I'll do guitar I'm still getting into the guitar I'm not very good at it but um <laughs> he um so he'll I have my laptop I set up you know this whole live show um all the backing tracks and stuff like that on my laptop and he'll Cole will have them next to him and half it's it's a very weird (laughs) 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 arrangement but basically we have it it's a stereo channel um the left channel goes to him it's a click track and the right channel is our front of house that's our backing track that the audience hears Mm -hmm. so you know it's it took a lot of figuring out but eventually we figured out a setup where we can get the instrumentation and we can get the full production and Cole can do live drums.
0: (laughs) That that definitely sounds like it'd be a pretty cool experience for sure. And I mean, like I know you in the, like making a video for pressure bomb, you said at one point there was like, you know, 12 tracks of vocals. Like, how do you uh, decide which one to (laughs) sing, which like melody?
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. Vocals. (laughs) So, um, one thing about you know, my songs, one problem, I guess, that I'm trying to work on as I go. Um, like when I first when I wrote the first album, it had never even occurred to me that I would have to play it live. <laughs> so um a lot of the songs were written in a way that just wasn't possible to perform live. There was no space to breathe. Lines would overlap. Um, they were at the top of my range all the time. So now you know at least with the live shows like you're mentioning pressure bomb which has a lot of vocal tracks um usually there's like a main melody that i can stick to and sometimes i'll have to change it because I, I love writing stuff that's very like technically difficult to sing <laughs> and it's not always practical to do that for half an hour on stage so we, we make adjustments as we need to fair enough fair enough and, and has
0: that like affected your writing process now that you do have the live show more in mind
1: Yeah, definitely. I I think for the better, you know, because you get, once you sort of like get an idea of like what people react to live, I think that's one of the best ways to see like, you know, what moments in a song really work. So I love, I love like looking for that stuff now, whereas Hmm. I wouldn't have known to do that before.
0: Yeah. And like, do you have examples of what like some of those kind of like moments or styles are that you
1: get that reaction? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So, we haven't we haven't um, had the chance to play any of the new songs live because of you know the whole quarantine situation. But when I was originally putting together the songs for this EP for To Mend the Sun, I um I love planning out these these little moments of you know, I, I have like a bit of like a background in theater, so I love these these sort of planned, like choreographed little things. Um, you know, for example, there are, there are moments, um, the last show I did before um, before quarantine, we sort of had, you know, bits where we'd like walk on and off the stage. You know, we had sections of songs that we extended for the live version. Um, for the song Reverse, we actually changed it so that there's a part where Cole would um, get off of percussion, go backstage and appear in the crowd um, playing maracas. Oh, wow. <laughs> And I don't know. It's all it's all stuff like that. And we had a bunch of stuff planned for the new EP that we're hoping we can eventually do. <laughs>
0: for sure. Yeah. Again referencing like the the making of Pressure Bomb video that you did. Um you said like the lyrics to the song were kind of like inspired initially by the synth. Is that like something that's kind of typical for you to be like inspired by sounds rather than having, you know, that fictional story set in your mind from the start?
1: Yeah, no. I definitely one thing about the way that I write is that it's very much like sound first. A lot of times the, um, I'll go into a song. I'll start with, you know, instruments. I have like a long list of ideas and stuff. Like sometimes I'll have, I'll think of a lyric and I'll put it, I'll write it down. I'll put it in this little document I have. And that'll be there. And oftentimes what'll happen is I'll just open up FL studio And I'll have like a, you know, something in my head, some kind of sound and I'll put that together and I'll go through like this list of ideas and be like, which one of these little thoughts or lyrics feels like it would fit into the sound that I have here. Mm -hmm. and you know really whatever follows along whatever seems to match what I think it sounds like I'll usually base the lyrics around that so sometimes I'm literally writing like bar by bar you know I'll figure out a chord I'll be like what what words go with this chord and I'll just go like just measure my measure until I get through it
0: Mm -hmm. and does that like as far as like creating the story around it how does that kind of like come into
1: the process um I think well hmm it's, it kind of depends on what, what I'm writing a lot of, you know, like 90% of what I write is part of a larger story. So, you know, for example, with the great tale and with, um, to mend the sun, those are both, um, part of one big narrative that was kind of, kind of already planned to begin with. You know, when I wrote the great tale, I knew the arc of what would happen in the album. And I knew, which you know it was like kind of like writing a book you know Mm -hmm. where you do the outline you know what happens in each chapter and you just have to write the chapters
0: yeah and and, i mean you're obviously you mentioned the great tale and i know you you redid a few of the songs for the men of the 70p what was it like kind of like revisiting those and you you mentioned like you know having the live show in mind was that like part of the reasoning behind doing the revisitations
1: yeah for sure um you know, part of it was that, you know, just the sound quality wasn't where I wanted it to be. Um, and that's, you know, I think that's just like a natural consequence of, you know, it's like a self-learning thing. I've, you know, it was my first real experience doing anything like that. And I took a pretty big leap. It wasn't very gradual at all. Um, it, You know, my first release was like a 12 song concept album. So I didn't really leave myself much room to prepare for that, which is fine. I think it was a great learning experience, but um, there is, you know, it kind of got to the point where I was like, I, this almost feels like a, like a waste of like well-written songs because the, the production is just not good enough for me to really do much with them. <laughs> so we, you know, we went back in and part of the, part of that was I'd started going to a lot more shows um, I started going to more, you know, local and indie shows versus, you know, before that. And this is something I actually just thought of as you asked the question. <laughs> before the album, I had only ever really gone to like really big like stadium, like arena shows, you know, so that was my frame of context for um, writing that. And then as I sort of started going to these like, you know, basement shows and And, you know, small gigs around sort of trying to, you know, find my feet and hopefully to do my own shows eventually, which would happen later. I started to get a feel for what works live in a small setting versus what works in a really big setting. So, you know, I didn't necessarily want to limit myself, but I wanted to like, you know, sort of create moments and just figure out like, you know, what are these songs going to sound like when I'm like five feet in front of you? Hmm. And part of that was like, we, I think we need live instruments, you know? Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, that, that's so
0: funny that you mentioned like that you kind of hadn't been to like these smaller scale shows before the the first album came out. That makes like thinking about it. It's like, that makes a lot of sense, especially like the theatricality and stuff and all the layering and everything. Like it makes sense that, you know, those, you had those bigger stage productions kind of like in mind.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, There. There are still like, I have, um, like stage visuals for, for a lot of the great tale songs that I've never used just cause I, <laughs> when would I ever use that? You know? <laughs> but it's, it's, I, I like to dream a little, so <laughs> it's always fun creating stuff that you might never use. Just, just to sort of imagine.
0: For sure. Yeah. I mean, I could totally picture, you know, some of the songs with like, you know, full on symphony and stuff or something like that. Like I, I would love to see that alternate version
1: too. <laughs> oh man. One day.
0: <laughs> and I mean you mentioned I guess kind of like the how a lot of your songs are kind of you know more like fictional based and pressure bomb seems to be kind of the one that's you know most rooted in reality and kind of like you mentioned like the feelings of um you know like the feeling like you need to do it all and you, you like kind of being very guarded with your work and stuff like how was it kind of like exploring a little bit more on that side of things lyrically for you
1: Um, very just refreshing, you know, you, I, you know, you write all these songs and, you know, I can't say that the the fictional stuff is entirely separated from my own experience. You know, lots of stuff sort of makes it in there where, you know, it's very much influenced by how I'm feeling and where my life is, but I'd never really written a song that was completely sort of, um, you know, un I don't know what the word is, just unapologetically about, you know, myself and my own experience. So that was, um, you know, I think I sort of figured out that some of the way I would write songs before was in a way that was very um, kind of not defensive, but sort of, um, you know, I would use these big ideas to sort of like hide behind, I guess. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of figuring out like who I am and writing pressure bombs sort of allowed me to really look at myself very directly and say, like, what is my experience? What do I, what do I, what am I afraid of? How does that affect me? And how can I use these, you know, big theatrical sounds to enhance that rather than, you know, hide behind them? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, another one that kind of like stood out to me, like, sonically was um, to take for granted, which, you know, in my head is kind of like uh, an electric mix up with like, a search in solo track or something like that uh, like can, can you tell me a little bit about, about like that song
1: and how it came together oh yeah to take for granted is um yeah no, i'm glad you pointed that out that's also a very different one isn't it it's um how did that come about it was um okay yeah so this is another sort of like another um sort of growth moment for me where i was um starting to get a lot more into pop music and I've, I've always loved pop music but i you know i started really like delving into it like what you know what's charting like what's on the radio and like why why am i not listening to it you know i feel like there must be a reason that you know these things resonate with so many people so it was like i'm gonna like i'm gonna jump into Billie eilish you know i'm gonna see what what her whole thing is about and now i'm a huge fan um but i started um Getting really into, you know, this this sort of like mix of you know electronic elements and hip hop elements and mixing that into a pop song. So I literally just had this little loop I was playing around with. Um, it didn't have any kind of concept behind it. Any there was no real intention. It wasn't even going to be a song. Um, but I just wanted to try something out. Just sort of um stretch myself out like creatively. And I ended up being really getting really into it. I sent it over the coal and he was like, we should like, you know, we should really do something with this. Um, you know, I think we could. And at that point I had um, thrown a couple of lyrics in there and it had become like maybe a minute and a half sort of song. And, you know, once we got it, I got it in my head that like, it could be a song. Um, I was just really amped about it, you know, and we took it like an entirely different approach. I actually, um, that was one of the first times I um, actually let Cole take care of a lot of the production. It was an entirely different song when I made it. Um, there were horns and there were um, these different elements. And he was like, send, send me like the MIDI stuff for this. And I will, um, you know, I want, I want to try something and let me know what you think. And I, I loved it. And that's sort of, um, you know, that sort of set like a bit of a, a framework for how he'd work on songs like later.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah and that makes a lot of sense and I'm like I feel like through like you know watching some of the videos and stuff that you've done like it seems like, I feel like this is going to sound a little weird but like it's you really seem to love the music that you make and like it seems like really clear how passionate about it you are and stuff and I'm like I'm just curious like can you tell me a little bit about like how you see yourself how you see your music and um just like yeah just like kind of getting into your mind in that way <laughs>
1: Yeah. That's a, that's a deep question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Let's, let's figure it out. Um, so the question was like, how do I see myself in my music?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, hmm, that's a good question. I mean, I definitely get really, you know, you're right. I do, I do like my music. I'm very passionate about it. Um, and I get very sort of like, I like to immerse myself into it, you know, the same way that I would immerse myself in like, you know, um, another musician's work that I'm really into. Like I love that sort of like feeling of like when you're, you know, you become like part of a fandom or something, or you like get really into like the universe that a band builds around their music. Mm -hmm. And I, I try to, you know, get my head in the space where I can, you know, put myself in my own little world around my music and that will sort of inform, like, what does it need? You know, how can I, and, you know, just from, like, the standpoint of somebody that's making music that other people are hearing, like, how can I add value to, like, the person that's listening to this? You know, I don't want it to just be an experience where they're like, oh, I like this song. You know, Mm -hmm. I want it to be, like, an entire experience. And I think part of that is, like, how... You know, how can I do that for myself? You know, what I, you know, something I, I've noticed, like other people say that I really subscribe to is like, you know, you should write like your favorite album mm-hmm. and, you know, do the things that you think would make it. Um, you know, like what would you want to see and why haven't you seen it? And if not, you should do it for sure
0: yeah and i mean you said you know you should make your favorite album like what are some of like the favorite albums that you like take that inspiration from
1: oh man favorite albums <laughs> <laughs> i my favorite album of all time um right now and maybe forever is the black parade by my chemical romance oh yeah <laughs> it, yeah <laughs> it's just it's an incredible music i it's incredible it's an incredible album and I it's really just like the benchmark for me as far as like everything I want my music to be, you know. <laughs> and there are like a whole whole lot of other elements that that album doesn't even touch that I, I want to include. But as far as just the, the theatricality of it and how just intricate and well put together it is, it's um, it's just such a, a huge inspiration point for me anytime i make something i'm you know constantly looking back at that album and being like you know how does this make me feel and how can i capture that Mm
0: -hmm. yeah they i remember i watched um the the first time they ever played welcome to the black parade live it was like during the vmas or something they were like on the top of a skyscraper and they had like a chorus of like probably like middle school age children um like singing along with them and it was just like the coolest thing ever it's like one of my you know like biggest music memories that and you know them being they were my first concert as well on the black parade tour and it's like it's just like so ingrained into
1: me <laughs> like <laughs> i love it <laughs> oh i i think about that a lot <laughs> Their black parade tour is like you know again one of those things when like if i were ever putting together a tour like i would be i'd look at that a lot it's <laughs> <'cause> it's incredible <laughs> for
0: sure yeah and i mean i feel like you know, this is something that I haven't necessarily like specifically hit on in the past, but um, with you know the Black Lives Matter you know movement being especially like reaching critical mass at this point, it feels like you know I, I really wanted to bring that part like into the conversation of the podcast it, it's, instead of just you know including diversity. So, um, like, what have kind of some of your experiences been within
1: the scene? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's definitely a weird you know, it's a weird part of, like, the entire, you know, being part of the scene. And I've never, you know, maybe right now things are a bit different. Um, I've sort of started to, um I guess, feel a little bit more part of the scene. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just, like, outside of this movement, I think it's taken a long time for me to get to that point because, it, you know, it does feel, it always has felt like a very overwhelmingly, like, white space. And you kind of, like... You know, feel that when you go to shows and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I always get like a kick out of like going to a show, and then like you know, every, sometimes you know we'll how the singer will like take like a picture of like everybody and like post it on their Instagram later, and I'll be like, oh, there, there I am, there, like, the one, <laughs> the one black person in the crowd. Mm-hmm. And you know, when sort of getting into the other side of like the scene when you're on the stage and you're trying to get into those spaces and make. You know make music and play shows it's um it's it's definitely just like a jarring experience you know because people kind of have like this expectation you know and part of it is me being like um you know as close to a solo artist as you can be I guess that you know it there's usually this expectation that like I'm like a rapper or something and mm. I you know it's it's this weird thing you know a lot of people I will say a lot of the people in the scene are very inclusive and they're very sensitive to these things um especially me being in New York which is a very um you know it's a place with a lot of people of color it's definitely probably one of the less white music scenes Mm -hmm. um but even even here you know every once in a while there's that you know you get like a vibe, I guess you get, you know, these sort of like little microaggressions, um, you know, scattered throughout that, you know, they're always like these little reminders that things aren't quite the same for you as they are for, you know, a lot of like, like your, your white colleagues, I guess, Mm. or like, you know, what's the word, like peers.
0: Yeah. And and, uh, like, as far as, you know, you mentioned kind of like music wasn't really always your thing. And you've, you know, more recently gotten into like the more like DIY type of stuff like, how do you feel like um, your Blackness, like, affected kind of your, like, like, discovery of the scene and you're, like, you're becoming, you know, part of that kind of, like, this little corner of music and stuff. Was there anything that kind of, like, you know, any particular moments that kind of, like, stood out to you, you know, in within your journey that, you know, were, like, particularly poignant?
1: Hmm. Um, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I don't have any, like, you know, anything really crazy, but I, I can say that there have been a couple moments where one of the um one of the, you know, sort of most impactful things that'll happen for me every once in a while is meeting another black artist in these spaces. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I've gotten into the DIY space, I've met more and more. And you know, again, like I said, being in New York, going to a lot of shows like in the Bronx and Brooklyn, you see this huge difference between the people that are playing and putting together these basement shows, you know, you'll see a lot of black artists and a lot of like, you know, very different faces. And then you look at the people that are like in these small zines or you look at the people that are, you know, sort of popular, you know, names in the DIY scene, people that are sort of up and coming and they're overwhelmingly almost always white and you know and it's this weird thing where you you know you meet another black artist and it's like oh my god this is the coolest thing ever (laughs) you know you this is I'm, I'm just so happy that like you're here and I'm like watching your show and we're like sharing this space mm-hmm. and it almost feels like an entirely different, like it's like two different DIY worlds, you know, where I, I get on Twitter or like Instagram mm-hmm. and, you know, the same, you know, couple of bands, admittedly amazing bands, you know, but it's the same couple of like very white bands that are coming up in that sort of like, you know, like that kind of small like indie scene and mm-hmm. I'm like man like where you know where does that shift happen you know where do you where do you what's like that threshold where you you take you know all of these black artists that are very small and then you know something kind of stops them from reaching that next level that's mm-hmm. very much dominated by artists that aren't black
0: yeah i I don't know if you've watched um the roundtable that emo night did on racism within the scene but like one of the things that they were saying that kind of like stood out to me was you know the fact that even though it seems like in some in a lot of ways like you know the things are getting more inclusive within the scene on like the musician side especially but like kind of less so on like the managerial and back end side and I, I think that that makes a lot of sense to me as to you know something that could really be improved on and could you know potentially make that bigger difference like you're saying with you know the smaller size bands kind of making it to the next level just having you know more people who are you know more connected with them in order to kind of you know like band together in some ways you know the way that a label works and everything but just kind of you know forming that community a little more on all sides of the industry rather than you know you know having like token you know people of color bands or black bands and stuff like
1: that. Yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, I did watch that and it was incredible. You know, it was such just a, it was such a positive and like empowering experience seeing these like couple of black artists talk about their experience in the industry so candidly. Mm. And I just really resonated with a lot of it. And you know, what you just said, I think is a really big part of it. You know, you see And I think that's really where the shift happens when you have, you know, nobody can stop you from, from making the content, you know, you're contributing, you're making something and you're putting it out there and sharing it for people to enjoy. But largely, you know, there is that all, there's always the business side of any, any sort of industry. And that's no different from music. And that side is very much, you know, very white, even more so, than the people making the music and that makes a huge difference when you're um trying to you know not just be like a garage band forever Mm -hmm. and it sort of you know adds this pressure that i um it's something that i don't even really think about it's just sort of like this thing that is ingrained where you feel like even though you can make your music whatever you want there's always that thing in the back of your mind that like it kind of has to appeal to that sort of, you know, the people that are making up that administrative side, because I don't, Mm. you know, I don't just want to keep making music, I want to, you know, keep taking it further, you know, so you sort of start to feel like, you know, if this music is of no appeal to the people that are going to help push it further, then, you know, how, how else am I going to get it out there? So it's, it does make things a little bit, you know, different when you're, you know, sort of marketing yourself. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. That I don't necessarily have a response to that, but like, um, that's definitely something I'm going to be thinking about. And that makes like a lot of sense the way you like phrase that for sure. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I mean, I think you probably know, I like to, you know, wrap things up by, you know, asking for either like a piece of advice or something you've been thinking about, um, you know, about music or life in general, or about black lives matter, kind of whatever, just, you know, giving you free reign to say whatever you want to the audience.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. We've talked about so many things. It's hard to think of a one good, one good piece, (laughs) but uh, I'd say probably the most important thing just in regards to all of this is, you know, as an artist and you know what, whatever you do really, you know, I think it applies very, very much in art, but surround yourself with just like people that you feel are pushing you forward and that you feel inspired to push forward. You know, I've seen such a, so, so much growth in this music thing I'm doing recently. And it's, you know, because I've, you know, I've started to develop relationships with, you know, people in this scene. And that's one of the things that I've always felt stopped me from being a part of the scene was that fear of really you know, developing those relationships because it can be hard, you know, mm-hmm. like reaching out to strangers. <laughs> For sure. you, you know, like I, you know, I don't really have anything important to say. You know, I just think you're an interesting person and I just <laughs> want to like, you know, be like in, you know, in your sort of like world, mm-hmm. I guess. So yeah, I think anybody that's like trying to make something out of something they're passionate about, just surround yourself with people that you think are, you know, are going to support you in doing that and, you know, support other people. Like there's just so much value to just taking some time out of your day to just like support something outside of yourself that you think is going to, um, you know, just not, I mean, not really for any reason, you know, you don't do it to, to gain anything necessarily. You just do it because, you know, you're, it's, it'll, I think it will pay off, but you just get so much out of like experiencing what somebody else is trying to share with you. And to make a point out of that, you know, try to contribute to the causes that are happening right now. You know, if you have any kind of resources or money or time that you can contribute to, you know, a lot of people that are deeply in need right now, then definitely, you know, try to think of ways that you can do that, that are sustainable for you and that you can do all the time
0: for sure yeah and are there any like specific organizations that have like spoken out to you recently that you wanted to give a shout out to
1: um I mean there are like a whole lot of um you know organizations right now that I think are doing great work um I mean obviously me being from New York I you know a lot of there's take back the Bronx you know they do a lot of great work there is um recently we did a little thing you know thing on my band camp where we raised some money and a lot of that went to the um the homeless um black trans women um sort of like you know kickstarter that they're putting together Mm -hmm. and um you know there are lots of resources you know i think you know always good to do research and see where your money is going you know there there are there's no, no lack of people in need right now. So, you know, if you feel like you want to help there, there are plenty of people that need help right now.
0: For sure. Yeah, definitely a good time (laughs) to step in that ring. And um, was there anything that like, I haven't hit on that you you've been wanting to get out there?
1: Hmm. Um, not anything really I could think of there. Oh, I guess like just very briefly. Um, just on the visual side Mm. you know there's there's a lot of um a lot of animation stuff happening Mm. so you know I'm very very excited about that the visuals are a very huge part of my process and I think just in general with music you know like what you see when you're listening to it is such a huge aspect of it you know Mm. so I you know that's just something I wanted to briefly mention that visuals are a huge thing.
0: Alas, here we are at the end of another episode. If you enjoyed it, go show Jiraiya some love. Check out Mend the Sun wherever you get your music, or head over to his YouTube channel and watch some videos he has on there. My favorite is the breakdown of Pressure Bomb, walking us through the different layers of each section. I wish more bands did stuff like that. Special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Kalen West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane Palermo for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at Fly on the Call Pod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at flyonthecallpod at gmail.com. Keep hanging in there and stay outraged. Talk to you soon.